if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 2, looking at verses 1 through 10. Um, if you're just joining us today, we're, we're in the midst of a series through the book of Galatians. And this uh, message in this book of Galatians is a message of freedom, and specifically freedom in Christ. But it doesn't start out with this message because there was a group of teachers that were teaching a false gospel and really confusing the church and leading them away from the truth. And so these false teachers were known as Judaizers. And these individuals taught the Gentile Christians that they needed to be circumcised and keep the Mosaic law. So there was a great burden on them. And so we call these other teachers Judaizers because they really insisted that the Gentiles be circumcised and keep the Jewish, Jewish feasts if they wanted to be justified and reach completion in Christianity. And so ultimately, they were trying to make Jews out of non-Jews, saying you have to first become a Jew in order to be a Christian. And so the Judaizers, though, thought really that Paul's gospel of justification by grace alone through faith alone was inadequate. And so they added their own requirements and they came up with a false gospel. But really to make their own version of the gospel stick, they really had to discredit Paul's gospel message. And so to do that, what they first did is they went to discredit Paul's authority as an apostle. And they had done this in Paul's absence, saying that he was really a, a second-rate apostle with a second-rate gospel. And so their false accusations against Paul were that he was not one of the original 12 apostles that, that did ministry with Jesus, that he had learned his gospel secondhand at best from the Jerusalem apostles and had really reshaped it and, and falsely uh, communicated it. And, and then finally, one of their accusations was that his authority was not binding, but that it was because he was in this authority place by man and not from God. And so these are the false accusations that these false teachers are bringing up against Paul. And so in the first two chapters of the book of Galatians, Paul is giving a defense for his apostleship and the true gospel he is preaching to the churches in Galatia. And so in the first chapter, Paul has been passionately defending himself and the true gospel, which is ultimately salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So what Paul's going to make clear continually throughout this whole book as we go through this series, it's not Jesus plus the law. It's not Jesus plus circumcision that equals salvation. Paul is going to say it's Jesus plus nothing else that equals salvation. It is Christ alone. And so, in fact, the whole point of Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 through 24 is to really argue that Paul is not a second-rate apostle. That he, in fact, argues that there is enough public information about his life before and after his encounter with Christ that really no one has any stance or, or logic or uh, any other facts to argue that he's a second-rate apostle. And so really, he makes a strong case, as we saw last week, that his apostleship and his gospel came independently from the Jerusalem apostles, and that he stands on an equal footing before Christ and with those apostles. And so as Colton mentioned last week, this, this was Paul's communicating his calling, that regardless of who Paul was before Christ, this is who Paul is now in Christ. 
So now that he has defended himself and his gospel, Paul's going to shift in his agenda a little bit. From chapter one to chapter two, we're going to see a, a bit of a transition and a bit of a shift. Because in chapter two, he's now going to show that though he didn't get the gospel from the apostles, it's the same gospel as the apostles that they are preaching. And so really the transition Paul is making is that in chapter one, he's arguing for the authority of his gospel preaching. That he was saying, I didn't get the gospel from the apostles. I got it directly from Jesus Christ. And in chapter two, he's arguing for the unity of his gospel preaching. And so what we're going to hear him say is, listen, I preach the same gospel as the apostles. And so what we're going to see and unpack from our text this morning in Galatians 2, 1 through 10, is that we need to examine our gospel belief so that we can live in freedom and partner together in one mission. If you're taking notes, those are your fill in the blanks on our expositional outline this morning, that we need to examine our gospel belief so that we can live in freedom and partner together in one mission. And so we're going to read in Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, it'll be on the screen behind me. And if you, if you don't own a Bible at all, there are some out in the commons and in the back here that can be available to you. So starting in chapter 2, verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. God, as we come before you, I ask that uh, you would examine our hearts. You would examine our lives and you would examine our gospel belief. Father, I pray that, that this morning as we read your word, as we study your word together, God, I pray that all glory would be to you alone. That salvation would not be something that we believe we can tack anything to, but it is only through Christ alone that we are saved. So God, we love you. We thank you for the truth of your word. And it's in your name we pray. And everyone said, 
Amen. Amen. Um, often when we hear of someone's travels, there's, there's no real reason behind it. If you think about it, it's basically small talk. It's them sharing at the beginning of a conversation, this is where I vacationed, this is what I saw, this is what I did on my vacation, this is how long I was there. You usually show pictures and you tell stories, but there's no real intention behind communicating this. But for Paul, this is an incredibly important detail about his journey. And often, if not always, when the Bible talks about travels, there's an intentional reason. And so here in in verse 1 and 2 that we read, Paul begins in this section by telling the Galatians that the motivation to his returning journey to Jerusalem was because of a revelation. Now, what we know to be true is that he was responding to God's direction, not human invitation. And so it's not by the invitation of the apostles, but by God's direction that he went up to meet with them. And as he met with them, with the apostles, he's meeting with them to be sure that he was not running or had not run in vain. And so because of the question about his apostleship and his gospel message, Paul is wanting to set the record straight. He's wanting to make sure there's no question at all. And he's bringing before them these other leaders, his gospel belief and his gospel message, that they would examine it. And really, I love this about Paul because Paul is a gutsy leader. There's often things we're going to hear in the book of Galatians. And if you read any part of his New Testament writing, Paul is not going to leave out any detail that's important. He's often going to call out leaders He's going to be honest with the church about where they're at. And so he's not taking any punches and he's not sugarcoating anything. He's a leader that's confident in the gospel truth that he's preaching. But even now, and this is what I love about Paul, he's taking his gospel belief and his gospel message and he's not waving it in front of the church to comply. He lays it before the apostles for the sake of unity. So he allows, as he says, those who seemed to be influential to examine his message for the sake of gospel unity. Now, let me tell you something that's true. This is not something false teachers do. They don't lay their message before godly brothers and ask them willingly to examine it. So there's a valuable application here for us to learn from Paul. Because there are times when we are, we are running in vain. And there are other times when we are running in truth and we need godly counsel in our lives to confirm and really affirm this. And so let me ask you a question. Who are the godly men and women in your life that you are inviting in to examine your gospel belief and your gospel message? Who are the the godly men and women that you are inviting in to examine your gospel belief and your gospel message. Now, here's something important also to know about Paul, though, is that Paul is not having them examine his gospel message so that they can praise him in his theology or, or his perfect execution of doctrine. No, in, in fact, what we see is that Paul even clarifies in verse 6 that he was not looking to appease the apostles. He was not looking to appease those who seemed to be influential. And he stated even further that what they were made no difference to him, that God shows no partiality. And Paul even said, those I say who seemed influential, in verse 6, added nothing to me. 
And so as we examine our, our gospel belief and the gospel we preach, this isn't for the approval of others that may be influential. It's not for the praise of self, for our own theology and our own doctrine. We do this so that we may be sure that we are walking in the truth, where we're living in freedom of the gospel. Because the false gospel message was one of bondage and of legalism. But what Paul is focused on, what he's communicating that he is preaching is freedom in Christ. And so in verse three, as he communicates with the apostles and he's telling the Galatians about his journey, we hear of one of the men he's traveling with, which is Titus. And we know from the book of Titus that, that Paul and Titus were close friends and they have a unity in belief. Because we see in the book of Titus, as Paul begins his letter in verse four, Paul greets this young leader by saying to Titus, my true child in a common faith. So what we know of Titus, not only that he was close with Paul, that what we know is that Paul was discipling Titus as an elder of the church, but Titus was also a Greek. So what this would have meant of the culture is that he was not circumcised. And so Paul brings in Titus with him as a test case that a person can be a Christian and not live under the law, but under Christ. And so as Paul writes about his meeting with the apostles in Jerusalem, he informs the churches in Galatia that Titus was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Now you can imagine how Titus felt very relieved by this news that he was not required to be under the law. And so really, as Paul communicates about Titus, it's important for us to understand the reason he's doing this is because Titus was the example of someone who had experienced the truth of the gospel and was now living in it, but was not under the Mosaic law. But this wasn't enough for the false teachers. It wasn't enough for them because in verse four and five, Paul begins to really identify the enemies of the gospel, as he calls them, false brothers. That these false teachers claim the name of Christ, but with an added message. See, really, the, the greatest threat to the gospel in these churches is not from the outside. Think about this. I, I want you to understand this. The greatest threat to the churches in Galatia was not what was happening on the outside in the secular culture, but it was what was coming from the inside, from some of the leaders. And as we've talked about throughout this series so far, this is still an issue today. We, we know when Paul told the church in Corinth that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And so we know that these false teachers themselves as well Will, will mask themselves as true teachers. And notice how these false teachers are a threat. That Paul states in verse four that they spy out our freedom that they might bring us into slavery. So they don't come in swinging and, and yelling, Paul's an error from the rooftops. They, they come in and they say, yes, and. We, we agree with Paul preaching Christ, but now you must follow the law. And so they come in quietly. They come and they spy out the freedom that we have in Christ. And they then present a false gospel with convincing lies. 
This is, this is probably not fully what you should have been taught. But we know true of the word when Paul writes to the church in in Rome that the gospel says that all cultures and all people are saved by faith in Christ. We see this in Romans 10 verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so to become a Christian is to become free. Not, Not under the law, but under Christ. And so no longer are we under the guilt and the, and the shame of sin, trying to make up for it by obeying the law. No, the law reveals our sin and points us to our need for our Savior. And so Christ fulfills this law. Christ came, he lived a life like you and I, but without sin, that he would fulfill the law in our place so that by faith in him, we could become free in him. So now what that means is we aren't walking in an independent freedom where we get to do whatever we want. It means we are now walking in a gospel freedom. And so this is one of the things that I've said so far throughout this series is that the gospel is not only a guide of how we enter into the kingdom, it's a guide to how we live now as kingdom people. And so what this means is that the gospel is something we constantly preach to ourselves because it's the truth about Jesus and what Jesus has done for us and what he wants to do in us. And so really, gospel freedom is perfectly displayed in the cross. We see this, that for all men and women with all kinds of sins and and struggles, the cross is perfect in its purpose. That for the, the struggler who feels that they can't get their head above waters, and they really wrestle with feeling that they're not good enough for God. The cross is where they're not good enough is crucified. Because alone, the truth is, no, they aren't good enough on their own. But in Christ, they are. Jesus is more than enough. And for the arrogant, the the one who believes they can do all the things apart from the cross and have reached perfect righteousness on their own, you still can't do what Jesus has done. Only he is perfectly righteous and died for all the unrighteous. And so the cross is perfect in its purpose. That for the deeply flawed and and marginalized, it's the truth that the cross was God's perfect pursuit of you regardless of how far off you were. That Jesus is the one that stands in the gap between what you couldn't do and who you couldn't be. Jesus is all of these things and more. So the cross is the perfect, perfect example of gospel freedom. The cross is perfect in its purpose that to all who would believe in Christ alone, It is the perfect pursuit of a loving God reaching down to sinners like you and me. And here's why he does this. To reconcile us to himself so that we can live in freedom. And so this is how the gospel is a guide to how we live now as kingdom people. Because kingdom people are gospel people that we don't look for ourselves of how we should go about this life. We look to Jesus. 
We lay who we are in the flesh at the cross and we walk in Christ. Because we're not human people. That's not who we are considered as. We're kingdom people, which means we are gospel people. And what that means is also that gospel people are outward focused. That gospel people desire many things. They desire to take the gospel to the next generation. They desire to reach the unreached family members. They desire to reach the unchurched people groups, to reach the unreached neighborhoods, the neighbors, and and ultimately the nations. And also gospel people want others to be free. That's what gospel people want to see. False teachers don't desire these things. Gospel people do. So ultimately, people who live in gospel freedom are really longing to see other people live in gospel freedom. But only freed people can help free people. So if you are in bondage yourself, then there's no way you can set captives free. This is the importance of living in freedom and really examine our gospel belief. Because ultimately, the person that walks around and saying, woe is me, and I I keep on being all these things, and I I can't do good enough, you're absolutely right. But Christ can. And the person that thinks that way is not walking in gospel freedom. And so if you are a person in bondage, then there's no way that you can set captives free. You must first live in that freedom of the gospel where God's grace works in you to move the gospel through you. So really where you are constantly laying yourself at the cross. This is why Paul will later explain, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in Christ. And so gospel people want others to be free. But let me tell you a a truth. If you walk out in this freedom, This is what false teachers hate. They hate this gospel freedom because the gospel of grace gives God all the glory and takes all of it away from man. Because the reality is the only thing we have to bring to the table for our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. And so false teachers hate this. Because the gospel of grace gives God all the glory. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we have done to earn this. So it takes all the power away from man. And so the gospel of grace makes us boast in the spirit and in the cross rather than in the flesh. So ultimately, as gospel people, our freedom comes from Christ alone. It's not a freedom we have on our own. It's a freedom we have in Christ. And so Paul's really making a point here as he tells the Galatians about his meeting with the Jerusalem apostles. He's saying these teachers are coming in and and, and spying out our freedom, but not for a moment will we adhere to their gospel because it's false. And it does not call us to walk in freedom. It's calling us to walk in bondage. 
and it is not unified. And so he's examining his gospel belief so that even we can live in gospel freedom. And also as he closes in verse 7 through 10, Paul tells the churches that the Jerusalem apostles didn't add to or, or take away or edit Paul's gospel message because they were preaching the same gospel. And so really, as he writes in this section to the churches in Galatia, he's recapping for the church that they are united in the same gospel. Paul, as he's preaching to the uncircumcised, and Peter and the other apostles preaching to the, to the uncircumcised, Paul preaching to the uncircumcised, them preaching to the circumcised. So they're united in the same gospel. He's telling them, listen, Titus didn't have to be circumcised in order to walk in this gospel freedom. And he's telling them, listen, we, we resisted the legalism that the false teachers were tempting us with, that were demanding of us, that we would preserve the gospel truth. And then ultimately, Paul's saying, listen, we're united. Now remember, Paul's been questioned about his apostleship, about his gospel message, and so he's affirming to the church, let there not be another question because we are united together. The apostles didn't see fit to change my gospel at all because in fact, it wasn't another gospel. We were preaching the same gospel. And so here's what's important for us to understand because if we go and we, we learn about Peter, if we go and read First and Second Peter, we will really see uh, almost uh, some contrast between the two. But what we need to understand between these two leaders is it's same gospel, same mission, different people. Same gospel, same mission, different people. And so both went out and preached salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so what we need to understand is Paul has been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised. And Peter has been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. But look at their unity. Because in verse 9, Paul says that the apostles gave the right hand of fellowship. So what came out of Paul's meeting with the apostles was not just unity in message, but fellowship in ministry. And let me tell you, there is a great need in the local church today to get back to this type of unity and fellowship because I will tell you right now, we don't have it. Because too often we are divided. We, are, we divide ourselves, whether congregations or individuals, we divide ourselves because of foolish, non-biblical differences. I mean, I will tell you right now, one of my dearest friends in this community that is not another CTK pastor he leads another church, and, and we differ on minor theology, but we major on gospel unity. So let me tell you this reality, what we see in the text, and we're going to see next week as well. Peter and Paul are going to argue. They're going to have conflict, and they're going to differ, but in the end, they're going to major on gospel unity. This is critical for us, church, because Peter and Paul's ministries are to different people. But it's the same gospel. It's the same mission. But we need to understand their audiences are not the same. Their gospel message is, but their audience is not the same. So this is so important for us. 
So I want you to listen. I want you to understand this, that each of us are called to a different people group, but with the same gospel. We are all so very different. And if we spent enough time today talking with one another, we would see those differences in our personalities, in our thinking, in our approaches to to life, in our our finances, in our relationships, in our execution of one mission. But it should always be for gospel unity that we're partners together on one mission. It's to share the good news of the gospel that we have freedom in Christ. And so let me go back for a second what I said earlier that people who live in gospel freedom long to see other people live in gospel freedom. But only freed people can help free people. And so if you are someone that is in bondage, then there is no way that you can set captives free, that you can be active in the work of that ministry because you first need to live in that freedom of the gospel. And let me tell you, church, that I believe with all of my heart, something that, not in my notes, but something that I think is so important for us, we have got to get past the foolish divides that are so not Bible-based. We have got to get past the things that are not mandated of Scripture that people do differently. For the sake of, of method, we could argue all of the semantics of the local church in America. But I I don't want to be a part of that conversation with you. I want to be a part of the conversation of how we strive deeper and further towards gospel unity. But let me tell you an important truth. None of you can do that unless you are living in gospel freedom. You will not be able to be active in the work of that one mission to pursue that gospel freedom and live now as kingdom people if you are not right now living in gospel freedom. And so let me make it simple for you. How do you live in gospel freedom? You receive Christ and you no longer walk in the life you live. You walk in the life that is in him that you receive salvation that is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So as we come to a close this morning, let me leave you on that and have you ask that question. Are you living in gospel freedom? I encourage you to ask that question and, and really dig deep into that because there is no way for you and I to pursue gospel unity together if we don't put our divides aside and our foolish non-biblical differences and, and pursue living in gospel freedom. So before we, we dig deeper into the book of Galatians, I want you to ask yourself that question. Are you living in gospel freedom? Let's pray.